welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about books that we just finished reading and preview books that we're about to read too. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. And this week on Forever Canon is our special Bloodlines review slash Tempest preview episode where we are going to talk about the general outline of what the hell just happened in this crazy ass book while we also talk about the general outline of what might happen in the next crazy ass book. <laughs> but first, bum bum bum. Previously on Forever Canon, we finished the second book. Bloodlines, book two, Legacy of the Force. How does it feel, Tim? Such a good book. To be done the second book. I like it. It was a really good book, wasn't it? Yeah. It, you know what? Here's a good spot for our general our general overview of the book. I liked it. <laughs> it's a good one. Karen Travis. You did a heck of a job. I yeah. like it a lot. <laughs> First of all, you don't mess around. You put Boba Fett on the cover. Let's not hide what we're selling here. That's a good life choice. Second of all, you don't mess around. He's in the prologue. Third of all, half of the book is about the man. Yeah. And he has the greatest gigantic sweeping character arc ever. Anyway, we'll get to all that. But yeah, it feels good to be done the second book. We're pretty deep into this forever canon business now. Yeah. So this is going to be episode 17. This is going to be episode 18, maybe. Yeah, this is, yeah, 18. Yeah, we're like whatever, we'll four and a half months in or something like that. We'll see. That, so far. That's commitment. It's been awesome. And I, I got to say, like, rereading these books that I haven't read in like 10 years, 12 years. Well, okay. All three of these came out in 2006. So I don't think I've read these books since about 2006 or seven. I might have been a little bit late getting on the train. So what possible. the hell year is it now? We started in 18, so like 12 years. Like 12 years without between reading these books. Something like that. And I am so glad that they're holding up as well as they are. Oh, yeah. The first book was good. I mean, it's a little bit slow in places because you have to start building everything, right? And it's a little bit longer, I think, is the other maybe part where it feels slower. It's like 34 chapters compared to this one's 23. It's more chapters, but it's... Like yeah, the same amount, of, amount pages. of pages. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe that's maybe that is the why it felt slower is it was more broken up. Um, but this book, number two, Bloodlines. Karen Travis, I'll say it again. You nailed it, lady. You nailed it. Great book. She definitely lets you know what you're getting into right away. Hey, look, there's both Fett. Yeah. yeah. And she doesn't fool around. And the story no. contained within this Bloodlines book. Is more madness after all of the madness in the first book. And who was... and who knew Boba Fett had feelings? <laughs> <laughs> That's the true madness here. Yeah. Never mind the actual story, which we'll give you. I'll give you a quick recap, Tim, in case you forget, listeners, in case you're cheating and not reading along. You know who you are. You know who you are. The story goes like so. This book. I forgot. Starts just two weeks after Centerpoint. Yeah. I don't, I can't quite put my finger on how much time passes in this book, but it doesn't seem like more than maybe a week or two again, right? So this starts like two weeks right after Centerpoint. I forgot that. I, for some reason, I thought we were more distance from that. And it's Calo Moss wants to start a secret police. Mara doesn't want to run it. But Jason sure does. Yeah, he does. And that's like a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal 
turning point right at the beginning of the book where the GAG could have gone a different direction with a more, uh, not reliable, but a more experienced, experienced, maybe a more level headed leader in Mara Skywalker. And maybe someone who is more attuned with the dark side already. Yeah. She knows what direction not to go. Yeah. Right. You've already, uh, you've already burned yourself in the fire. Where Jason's pretty much uh, convinced himself otherwise. Anyways. He keeps poking the stove. What's happening is that a bunch of terrorist attacks are breaking out on Coruscant. A lot of pro-Karelian support. People don't like what the GA has done. In general, in the public. People who aren't from Coruscant. Yeah. <laughs> Most people throughout the rest of the galaxy aren't having what they're doing out to Karelia. And so, tensions are escalating. The military action escalates to a blockade of Karelia. And, of course, the Solos are caught on both sides of the blockade. Literally and figuratively. Jason and Jaina are attached to the military side of the GA and the GA in general. And Han and Leia are on Karelia. And and conspiring with Karelians to do things for Karelia. Not to the GA at this point. They haven't crossed that line yet. But so far, they've got their legs kind of halfway in the water. Yeah, that, that puts Leia in quite to, a spot. To betraying the GA. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. And what they end up doing is overthrowing the Karelian government and murdering Thraken Sal Solo. While Jason, on his side, manages to escalate things to a full-scale war for the GA and Karelia. Good job. How about that, eh? <laughs> How about that? We are at war. Thanks to all of the solos. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. You know, it boil- there's a handful of boiling points in this story. One of them being... Well, one of them being uh, when <laughs> Jaina refuses Jason's order. And you oh, and I even disagreed on that one. Yes, we'll we did. talk about that again. When we get there, I want to talk about that when we get to Jaina. But... That was one of the boiling points where all of a sudden now this has taken a more serious turn again and and things have escalated again. It just makes me think of Anchorman all the time where he's like, oops, that escalated quickly. Yeah. Like, oh, this galaxy is getting out of hand really fast, man. Really fast. Before we get into our characters and their individual little s- stories contained in this story, Take you over to the special Jedi power desk to our anchor Tim, the man, Jedi man, Tim, Jedi. Tim, how are things out there at the Jedi power desk? Jason, still doing things, still doing his force stuff. More, he's quite strong in the force. More of the same that like he he's continuing to do. All the same Jedi stuff we all know, force pushes and all all that kind of stuff. The one he does a lot, a little bit more and more in depth into the flow walking and looking back into time. He does it a couple times in this book. Yeah, right? he does it a couple times two, here, two or three, um, two I think. Yeah, does he? Both of them looking back at Vader's. He goes. He definely. Right. Yeah. Well, Anakin at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Sort of not, though. He goes back to that transition point both times. Yeah, when he's Oh, no, killing... not both times. One time he goes to uh, the Jedi Council conversation. When they say you're like, not old enough yeah, to be... Yeah, we grant you whatever, whatever. Yeah. But we but do you're not, not recognize master. you as a master. And the second one is when Thanks, he's killing Sam. the younglings. Yeah. That's the second so one So he, he goes to, I guess, those two pivotal turning points. I almost said pivotal again. Why is that word so tantalizing? Why do I want it to be real? I don't know. Anyways, those are very pivotal points in Anakin's turn where like he was so upset <laughs> that he did that he wasn't a master. He was so offended. Anyways, his yeah. flow walking is amazing. So good. It's so cool. Like he literally is there in a in a ghost sense. Like the way that he describes it is like if he were to stand in front of somebody or something like that, like they would see him. Yeah, and he he has to go to the place, right? Too like to be able to do it. When he went and back and looked at the Jedi Council, he was actually in the Council Chamber. Like, yeah, in, in he real was standing time. in the spot. Well, he says like he had a feeling he was standing in the exact spot that his grandfather, blah blah blah, and then so he like I don't know, don't self know. self trips at balls and goes back to <laughs> yeah. the past. He transports to, his to, consciousness or something. To have a little peek, yeah. Pretty wild stuff. What yeah. else? What else he got? The flow walking is, I think, my favorite. The one that he does differently, in or a different one that he does, is when he like force shocks those troopers. Force shocks. Oh, yeah. right, 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 right. He uh, he like reaches into their minds and, and shuts off their nervous system. Yeah, right? he like overloads their nervous. System. I used force shock because. Yeah. I I'd like. Well, I immediately thought you meant force lightning, but no, 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 no. no. completely of different. Course, of course not. <laughs> it's like a force taser. Jason wouldn't do such a thing. No, but force shock is a good description. Yeah, yeah. It's like he's, a, he's yeah he tases them, bro. Yeah, he shuts it's, down their nervous and system. It's pretty immediate too, and pretty nasty. Yeah, because he and he did it to like three guys at the same time. Yeah, he's just like I, I got this. He's powerful. <laughs> so good. Anything else? That's the only new stuff from this one. There wasn't really anybody else throwing any Jedi powers around either, eh? No. You know what he has gotten a lot better at in this book was um, hiding his presence in the Force. Yeah. Where he can like he he can do it like at the drop of a hat now, like on on command, go invisible to yeah his uncle Luke, almost the almost to Jedi. the point where it's, it's like subconscious. He almost does it just automatically. Yeah, that's like his default now, yeah. which is funny. Um, Ben wants to know how to do it. Mm. He wants to be able to avoid his parents when he wants. He's 13. Yes. Well, of he course wants to be able to avoid his parents. Yeah. And their ever scrutinous eyes. And he, he knows that they don't approve of what he's doing and what Jason's doing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how well Ben gets at it or how good he gets at it. How well he gets how, at it. How it will. I mean, Seeing over the course of the books, the growth of the child of the strongest Jedi in the galaxy is definitely something to watch. Yeah. He's not he's not destined to be a, a small piece in the puzzle. No. You know? well, we're going to keep a close eye on Ben. Yeah. See what he does. But first, let's keep a close eye on Luke and Mara and the rest of the Jedi, who, as we mentioned, not a whole lot of force powers to talk about because they're really not doing much in this book. No. Um, Luke has more bad in, dreams. In the first book, Mara breaks into Thraken's thing, into his 
his was, stronghold. The, yeah, his house. Um, or the, they all go to that uh, that that meeting place together. What was yeah. that space station called? Toria Station. Yes. There's a lot more Luke and Mara and other Jedi in the first book. This book trades a lot of that for the next group that we'll talk about, which is Boba Fett and the Mandalorians. But before we pass over these Jedi and the fact that they're doing nothing, they're sitting out and like sitting on their hands at the same time where Luke doesn't directly agree with what the government is doing, but he's not doing anything to stop them. He's not like when, when they're even in meetings, he barely speaks against what they want to do. Yeah. He, he, he goes about as far as to say, well, I don't think that's wise. Like, yeah. As far as Luke and Mar are, are concerned and how much impact they have, it's, they're just like part of the group. Well, they're, most of what they do in this book is centered around Ben. It's, they have a few, they're concerned they have a him. few big interactions with Ben where he actually goes home and stuff and like. He's crying to his parents and yeah. that kind of jazz, right? But they're not doing much in the overall conflict and the overall story. And I find that to be a problem because they say, Luke says it, Mara says it, they think Jason is going dark. And yeah. what do they do? Nothing. No, nothing, nothing at all. They want Ben away from him. What do they do? Nothing, nothing. They have one, Luke has one half conversation with Jason where he's like, I don't want him with you anymore. And Jason's like, well, I don't think that's really up to you, bud. It's probably up to your kid now that he's a soldier and a 13 year old grown up. And they, they talk, but like, he's the grandmaster. He can order anything if he wanted yeah. to truly. And Luke talks it. to Jaina and he talks to Mara yeah. about it. I get, he and... doesn't want to force it. Because he doesn't want to force Ben, right? Because he's already distant from his parents. So I get that he doesn't want to force it, but you're doing nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> nothing. They don't really love what the GA is doing. What does he do? Nothing. Doesn't do anything, Corellia. These Jedi just... better wake up, man. It's like, wake up and get involved. Because everything around you is falling apart. While you're literally like, Sitting on your hands. The wall next to you is falling apart. Yeah. All of your safety is falling apart around you. You're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. All of no. them. And I'm not even just talking about Luke and Mara. I'm also talking about all of the Jedi. There's an entire council of masters we have yet to hear from, really, in the first two books. Yeah, they talk about Jason a There's little bit. There's but... an entire roster of knights who aren't, you know, uh, training. They are tr trained. Yeah. They are part of the Jedi Order. Not a word out of anybody, really. Any, well, I mean, the few that come by, Jason happens to kill them every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But, like, what are all of the Jedi doing while this whole thing is spinning out of control? Nothing. Yeah, the only... It's obviously... Sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to say, it's obviously supposed to be an echo of what happened the first time with Darth Vader, right? Like, it's very heavy-handedly... And it laid out specifically in this book that he is Darth Vader 2.0. And all of what's happening around him is echoing the, the same circumstances that his grandfather were, was in. Where, like, they're dithering the Jedi Council about 
what to do about the separatists until their hand is forced and Obi-Wan and Anakin are captured. And then they're like, well, we have to use this clone army and uh, we might as well take strike at them at this point. You know, like they're not proactively trying to solve anything. They just wait and wait and wait until they're forced. And then nothing goes their way when they're unprepared. Shocking. Yeah. Like they're, they do nothing. <laughs> I don't get it. You're so powerful. Do all the things. Well, maybe that's why they sit back because they're so powerful and they could force anything that they want to. I know, right? But like the idea is like you're not supposed to do that. It's not the Jedi way. Yeah. Here comes Jason and he says, Jedi way, huh? Eat it. I'm going to yeah. do it anyways. I'm going to grab this galaxy by the nuts and force it to peace. Control is happening. I don't know. I just, they're doing nothing. For an entire book. Yeah. I yeah. have I have book three, Tempest, sitting next to me. And I keep picking it up as if it's Bloodlines book two. But in the whole book, they do nothing. They talk to their son. They talk to each other. They fight with each other. Yeah. He, ta- he A few meetings with the, with the GA in the high tip top of the government. That's probably the most interesting thing Luke and Mara had was they had arguments. Yeah, that was, those were good parts. Yeah. Made you feel so, bad so, for right. So, I mean, having said all that, the parts that they are involved in are really well written. Like, all of the emotional stuff in this book is really well written. Oh, like, yeah. Hey, Karen Travis. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. She's killing us. Right, right in the heart. It's so good. Oh, big time. Yeah. This book is a freaking heartbreaker, man. Bloodlines. Dang. It's a roller coaster. Dang. Lots of bloodlines when you break a heart wide open. Let's talk about our next group. <laughs> Boba Fett and the Mandalorians making their first appearance in the legacy of the four series so far in this book, they show up. It's been, we get mostly back back flashes, flashbacks for Boba Fett where like at the beginning of the book, it's like him chronicling his journey of, uh, of, of chasing down the cure to his clone dying for about five years leading us up to present day. And he, he, he finds a lot of things on this journey through the book. He finds his daughter dead, beaten to death by Jason Solo with the force. He finds a granddaughter that hates his guts and tries to shoot his face off. He also finds a possible lead on the cure for his illness because his mystery granddaughter that he didn't know about. Knows about an old clone, Jan Scarata from the Clone Wars, who yeah. shouldn't be alive, but he is still alive. Yeah. The so he got like the he got his gauntlet. lead, but he got a whole other pile of garbage. <laughs> yeah. Along with him, like he goes, he he goes from what he st- he starts the book off as his pretty normal solitary self, but just starting to doubt the idea of being alone forever. <laughs> yeah. He's like, just starting to be like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I want a family or maybe I don't want to be alone. And, but constantly is just berating himself about, Hey, you had your chance and you blew it and you're a piece of shit and you abandoned your, your wife and abandoned your daughter and your wife died. And now your daughter's dead. Whole lot of reasons for him to not love himself, but he goes on like a wild journey of things he's never done before in this book. 
He tells somebody that he's dying. That being Merta Gev. He actually tells several people, like Ton Wee when he finds her and whoever. But he tells Merta Gev face to face. Yeah. I'm dying. Face to face. Because he takes his helmet off in front of people for the first time ever in this book. Canonically, in the forever canon. Uh, first time ever ever he he makes a mention that yeah. he never takes never it off. in his life and what was he doing he was like trying to blend in as he was scouting out of some tech facility right yeah when he was looking for uh one of the kaminoans yeah the kaminoans kaminoans Ka- kaminoans yeah i don't know either the, way the kaminites either way that he's like he's like in the bathroom and it's the first time he takes his helmet off in public yeah, and then That's later... That's a pretty mind-blowing moment. He he does take his helmet off directly looking at Myrta, too. Yeah, and what else do they do? They cry together. Yeah. They sit next to each other and cry after they find out that her mom and his daughter are, are, is, is gone. They both thought they were going to be seeing her shortly. Boba Fett knows how to do that. Turns out she's dead. It's a wild journey, man. It really is. Wild. And... Come to the end of the journey, at the end of the book, Boba Fett has a granddaughter. They're going to bury his daughter, her mom, where his dad is buried on Geonosis, where he was killed by Mace Windu. And then they're going back to Mandalore to start rebuilding their empire. Him and his granddaughter, as a team, as a family, Boba Fett is going to go build a community. As, the, the, as its leader. The lonest ranger that there ever has been slinging blasters out in the galaxy. He he teams up with Han Solo in this book. He teams up with Murta Gev, who he didn't know at the time was his granddaughter. He plies information out of several different, I don't know, quarries, quandaries? I don't know, places. He gets information from a lot of different people is what I'm yes. trying to say. But now I'm sound dumb. But he has a wild journey in this book, man. And I love it. And this little trick at the end where Karen Travis says, we're not getting involved in the war, but going back to Mandalore. And it's like, is that your just way to keep the Mandalorians out of the other books? <laughs> <laughs> like either as a selfish, like that's mine or as a helpful, like, Hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> you, Hey, yeah. other writers, don't worry. You don't have to, spin even more threads into your plot so like much in the forefront like she did in this book where in bloodlines man it's half boba fett oh yeah and they his story lives up to this bloodlines title like beautifully it's literally about his daughter and his granddaughter and his ex-wife well yeah And, and his dad and he's talking yeah. about his dad all the time. All the time. And then by the end of the book, he's like, I'm finally over my dead dad. Finally over watching. Took me watching 60-something years. Purple light remove his head from his shoulders. Light, man. It's just yeah. light. Powerful. <laughs> Those Jedis. <laughs> that makes one do son of a bitch. Mother. Like, f- coolest Jedi ever, but. Pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. All right. What were some of your favorite parts of Boba Fett? I'll tell you one of mine, and then you tell me one of yours. Mine was when I figured out that Boba Fett 
<laughs> doing like investigation is totally noir detective film. Yeah. <laughs> and then start picturing it all black and white in my head. It's so good. Mandal picture Mandalorian armor, like Boba Fett's armor in black and white. You bet you didn't think it could get better. And yeah. it just kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> and especially if you picture him with like, now, nah, see here. Now, nah, listen, I'm looking for the clone who's lost out. In the... <laughs> and he talks like that weird uh, no, fake New York accent. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was one of my favorite parts of, B- of Boba Fett. What was one of your favorite parts of Boba Fett? The My favorite part that Boba Fett was in in this book actually, actually made me laugh is when he's going to get the information from what's her name? Not Tanwi. Kosai or yeah. one, of, one of those yeah. names. Um, it's funny because they don't matter. Yeah. And he's he's crawling along the roof and actually has to take a break because his hips hurt. Because <laughs> yeah. his hips hurt. Yeah, that was a good one, man. That made me laugh out loud while I was reading it. Obviously, the Han Solo team up is hard to beat. Uh, yeah. I mean, the two of them team up to murder a man. And it's, again, use the word, wild. Yeah. It's wild. They break into his facility pretending that they're there to make a deal. Murder him in cold blood. The granddaughter shoots him first. Three in the head. (laughs) Then this was what my favorite part of that was that Boba Fett being a professional, being the man who took the contract goes two more in the body after he's already dead. Cause like I said, I would Yeah, (laughs) just to make sure, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I like that. That juxtaposition of his professionalism, ver- uh, professional killerism versus his professionalism as a killer, where he just not wantonly killing everything, you know? Yeah. He's like, I only kill what I agree to kill. That's it. I try to minimize all the other damage. I don't know. What else? What else? What else? Well, about, about that is I've always, like, because I've, the book, different books, I've admired that about Boba Fett. Right. That he's just, he's such a professional. It's, it's such a funny character trait. Well, I mean, it is kind of almost cliche, the upstanding, honorable paladin type of thing where like, I will go and kill evil in the name of doing the right thing and doing it the right way. Or like, he's like the lone gunslinger who comes in and saves the town from all the bad guys that are taking over, like for honor and justice only, you know what I mean? Ah, I might have killed 72 people on the way through this little podunk little town, but you know what? I did it for good. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a thing. You but... don't know? You don't think that's a trope? Uh, There's maybe. Good guys always murdering people for good reasons. But Where this is a little bit more of a twist on it where like he's not necessarily always doing the right thing, but he still keeps his own code of ethics. Even in that, you know, where he is, he walks a gray line, I'm sure, of the people he kills and doesn't kill. But he still has that code of ethics, even though he knows sometimes he's doing the wrong thing. Yeah. He still and, and, tells himself. And that's the that's the part that I, that I would admire about him is that he's got a code of ethics and strict rules for himself that he follows. Yeah. He doesn't just like he could kill a million people. And, yeah, well, he could. <laughs> or and, and may have. With, with all the armament that he has on his armor at any given time he probably could kill <laughs> one to two million people my favorite part of all of them though was just him and Murta Gev sobbing next to each other in the cockpit of the rough. slave one 
not looking at each other, just crying about Ayla and being dead for their respective reasons. And I was like tearing up, tears streaming down my face when I was reading it. And I was just like, damn, Karen, it's good writing, bro. And I don't know if it's just the fact. I mean, I'm sure it's part of the fact that it's Boba Fett that makes it so impactful. Yeah. But I mean, like, do you know how long he was in the original trilogy for? Not exactly. Six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> six minutes out of about six hours of movie. Six minutes. So, like, almost other, outside of reading the books, everything that you have built up in your head about Boba Fett is from six minutes of badassery. And part of that is clumsy being tricked and beaten. Like, yeah. how? How does a blind Han Solo, whatever, launch him in the Sarlacc pit? Whatever. I always thought that was stupid. Like, this guy's such a badass. What? Anyways. And, and I'm wondering how... Boba Fett! <laughs> I'm wondering how I got it into my head because six minutes <laughs> um, that he was like this ultimate no feeling killer. And that's kind of how he is. Yeah. But how did, how did that even happen? Really? I it just, he only even says a few words. It's not like he monologues for six straight minutes when he's on the screen. Yeah. He barely says anything like, no disintegrations. And what does he say? You got it, pal. Like, he's, yeah. like, he's like, whatever you say, I'll follow the rules. I don't know. I'm Is not that, even sure if he says anything. I don't, I don't even know, man. <laughs> but <laughs> the whole, like, he says, like, put him in the back. He's no use to me dead or all that kind of stuff. Whatever. He talks a lot in, yeah. in episode five when Han's being frozen at the end. Yeah. But, like, everything that you have built up in your head about him just comes from that six minutes. But somehow, like, she totally rewrites him and stays completely true to him at the same time, if that makes any sense. Where, like, she sticks to what you know about Boba Fett, but also gives him a realistic emotional dimension. Yeah. Where, like, hey, yeah, maybe now that he's 90 or whatever, however the hell old, maybe now he would... he. he ne- Maybe all that time he was cold-blooded, care about nothing, murder guy, which he claims to be, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess maybe at 90 is when you're like, hmm, hmm. what have I actually done? Oh, my dad would be disappointed in me is how it all starts, right? Yeah. He's like, the only thing you the only thing you were supposed to be good at was being a dad like him, and you failed, and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, my God, that all breaks my heart, man. Oh, that's all. Because I'm a good dad. That breaks my heart. <laughs> That's all uh, Bavine's fault for bringing all that crap up. It's not, though, because he's berating himself from the very beginning, yeah. even in his own thoughts. He's like, you never live up to your dad. Your dad was amazing, and you're a piece of garbage. That was a really bad one that time. The first impression I did, you check back. The first one I did was all right. <laughs> that one's not good. I don't know, man, but he goes on an amazing journey in this book. She makes him much more of a three-dimensional character. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have to if you're going to write 100-something pages about him. Yeah. You know? In a book where... God, how many people does he even kill? Four? Like, Thraken? Yeah. He doesn't even kill Thraken, but we'll count him anyways. A couple of guards on the way out of there, and then, like, that's really it. That's it. He doesn't do much else. No, he doesn't. So, 100 pages of Boba Fett, way longer than six minutes. 
Yeah. And he does no killing, really. Or at least it's certainly not the focus of what he's doing. What he's doing is having this film noir freaking detective search for a cure. <laughs> Boba Fett with a, like with like a cigarette like under his helmet. Man. Nah, see. Yeah. Nah, the, the dame down on 24th Street said yeah. that the cure was up here. There's that bit of haze that's always in those movies. <laughs> <laughs> so Everywhere good. he walks, it's nighttime. The streetlights turn on as he's walking by them. <laughs> Anyways, Boba Fett and his appearance in this book was amazing. Um, that was the last thing I wanted to touch on about that was I like how each author is bringing their own unique cast to throw in there. Yeah. Where Karen Travis wrote a lot of like the, the clone commando, Republic commando books and stuff like that. So she's been writing the Mandalorians forever. She brings that and throws this into this book, right? Into this whole series, which makes it even better. Aaron Alston, writing all the X-Wing books, he brings in, like, Wedge and Wedge's family and, like, the, the, the military side and, like, the old friends of Han, Han and Leia type of thing. That's a nice little dimension in that book. And then in the next book, Troy Denning brings his own extra cast of characters. And I just really like that. Yeah. I think that's just really a... a I don't know if it's a clever, purposeful idea to keep the series fresh as you're going, or like uh, if it was a purposeful like advertisement that each author is doing for their other work, right? Because like, hey, if you liked me writing about Boba Fett in this book, have a look at this, this yeah. and this and this, right? It, I think it it like it was definitely purposefully done. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. just because nobody how, gets that lucky, right? But like, how much percentage of intention was? was good at the story uh and how much know, was just was, this is mine how much is like i can uh, i don't know again i guess bring your strength to the table right yeah so far the next group on our list han and leia somehow by small bits and pieces across this entire book they end up agreeing to kill thraken and hand dergedgen the entire Karelian government Please explain to me, please explain to me how Princess Leia would ever agree to doing this. Is that the only way that it happened in tiny incremental decisions where there was no right thing to do? Because originally, didn't he come to them and they're like, nah, we're not going to kill Thraken. Yeah. And he's like, call Boba Fett, right? If you want something like that. Offhandedly joking about how he's never going to see Boba Fett again. Yeah, the the only reason why they went after Thraken was because of the bounty. Yeah, so Thraken puts a bounty on that on them, and then all of a sudden, her entire code of ethics change. Well, she's a well, mom protecting her kids. Yeah, but or her kids. She's also like <laughs> uh, head of government, and for her to just agree that it's fine to kill Thrak and Sal Solo does not seem like her. How would she agree to that versus like capturing him or something or whatever? You know what I mean? Like that just doesn't really sit well with me where I'm like, I don't know about that. I get it. She starts doing it all for like the love of her husband, the Carillion and his pride and all of this. Yeah. Mostly it's all just political maneuvering until it becomes murdered. The president. Yeah. And then it's still fine. I don't know, man. 
Well, we team don't... up with Boba Fett. That's still fine. She's all jacked because Boba Fett helped them during the Yuuzhan Vong War. Yeah. Whatever made that may have been. We'll get there in two or three years. But she's fine with this. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like her. Like or how her character should be from what I know, but you do you do crazy things for people that I, that you care yeah, about for your family, I guess, and like for the good of the galaxy, I guess, right? Killing Thraken and whatever, but like, do they not feel like they're being used here? Because <laughs> they just kind of end up doing whatever Durgedjan asks them to do. Yeah, but in a round <laughs> with with I mean it happens to align with their goals, but like Yeah. I'm not putting too much more thought into that. I don't know, man. I just I didn't think it really lined up with like her usual morality. And I just it's it doesn't sit right with me. It's a little bit weird. Well and it how th- Thraken gets killed. That lines up with uh, like going going to Han now. That lines up with him, like his impulsiveness. Oh my God, you tried. You want my kid to die, so I'm going to I'm going to kill you. That lines up. He just goes animal mode. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes perfect sense that he didn't agree with Durgedjin though, because that's a plan. Right. He's done a plan, man. But like even still, like I don't know, man. Leia didn't seem all that worried about. The bounty hunter, she said, what, the whole time, she was like, oh, we'll kill them when they show up. And then she did. Remember, there was one person who tried to attack on, and she wiped him out. Yep. Outside of the Falcon or whatever. But, like, she doesn't seem worried enough about the threat of the bounty hunter to merit murdering, being accessory to murdering Thrak and Sal Solo. Because she knows that that's the agreement, right? Yeah. So, seems weird. What do they do over the course of this book other than overthrow the government and murder the president? Well, they also, as we mentioned, team up with Boba Fett to discover that Jason is becoming a monster. And guess what they do about it? (laughs) That's right. If you've been listening all this time, you will know what I'm about to say. They do nothing. They do nothing about it. Jason they shows up. Other. Jason shows up and delivers them Boba Fett's dead daughter, who's beat to hell. And they pretty much just tell him, "We can't believe what the hell you're doing," and lock him out of the Falcon. Yeah, I don't recognize you anymore. Don't talk to me. My Jason would never do such a thing. Yeah, but that's it. That's all they do. Words. No, no more. But not even serious. No, really, not like demanding explanation or anything even like just well i guess they did and i guess at the time like i said han was being quite the hypocrite jason's explanation was kind of solid like oh that was the bounty hunter that was gonna kill you there she is dead (laughs) enjoy it because now she ain't gonna kill you but that's not really the reason why you did it for them to just i don't know man why is everybody letting so much go when constantly they're saying this is not like jason at all well the every other... other chapter somebody's like jason would not do something like that <laughs> is over and over again <laughs> like the other reason i can think of is that if somebody actually did something this 
book series would be two pages long. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason. No. Thanks it, for compelling writing. It, it would be 30 pages of Jason killing everybody else before then just easily being trained by Lumaya. Yep. But, yeah, I get what you're saying, but that's that kind of forced conflict that I don't like. You wouldn't have that conversation with your kid when he shows up with a dead body. Yeah. Come on. That seems beyond the suspension of disbelief. Uh, the only thing I could even mention that would maybe give it any kind of enough merit at all is like the fact that they're all in the middle of like a crazy war breaking out, but still he's at the center of it all. Yeah. He so is how the like hell the cause they see what he's doing in the GAG and then they see the dead body that is courtesy of him interrogating people with the GAG. Yeah. They do nothing, nothing. They do nothing. nothing, nothing. They team up with everyone except for their family. Well, he always they don't talk has, to Luke and Mara. He always has a good reason. I know, but like, what's their reason the, for doing nothing? Because it's not good. Well, their reason is he, he had a good reason. I guess, but come on, man. All your life he's been logicking all of his answers at you. And when everything you say is like, this is not like Jason. Jason is going to the dark side. Everybody says it. Yeah. Jason has gone to the dark side. And they're all just like, well, that sucks. <laughs> And they carry on with their freaking life. I don't know, man. It blows my mind. They're blowing it. They're blowing it. What was your favorite part about Han and Leia in these books? Other than the Boba Fett team up, obviously. Yeah, well, we just used that for Boba Fett. I liked what we just talked about was that scene when Jason dropped the body off. And, like, you get to see the two of them, like, hurting together. Yeah. Again, writing the emotional dimension of this book so well. Karen Travis, like, writes the two of them as a couple so well all the time. Every situation, like, they're constant. They're constant. Han is fire and Leia is water. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, And then in this one, they're both shaken. In this scene, they're both rattled. Can't believe that Jason did this. Can't believe that he's so flippant about it. Can't believe how dark he's going and how much he's changing. And I just, I don't know. I just, uh, I like the moments between the two of them taking off after and stuff like that. Yeah. Where I just didn't really talk about it. It's like the quiet silence again. Apparently I'm obsessed with suffering and quiet silence. Cause I also really liked Boba Fett and Murder Gev crying <laughs> quietly <laughs> suffering. But I don't know. What about you, man? what did you like about Han and Leia in this book? And like I, that was a good one, and another one. It's it's the emotional ones in this book. The emotional ones seem to be the best, like little scenes. The it's another one is when they first find out that he's like rounding up Carillions. The the two of them. The I I think again they see him on the news. They see him the, on the news in the and, ho- and calf or whatever. Yeah, coffee shop. Yeah, and Hans just space bucks. I I think he's like rendered speechless for a minute right yeah yeah like he yeah. really is well and, just like in the first book when you had to pull over yeah exactly <laughs> character defining moments here yeah couldn't speak couldn't fly what the f- <laughs> damn the, those i think are the best moments 
with yeah. with Han and Leia in here. They are, and they're well written in this book too. And they're not very long parts, and that's what I like too. Like yeah. they're not; it's not long. Their scenes drawn are pretty out. quick. It, it's short that they're just you can tell that they are they're not, not feeling so hot about the situation. Yeah, and, but they still have like that lifetime of working together behind them, pushing them forward. Yeah, to do nothing. Yeah, <laughs> much like our next contestant on who's blowing it most. Jaina Solo. She starts this book off flying for Rogue Squadron. Life is good. But Zek is not my boyfriend. No, he's my friend. And he's she then a boy. transitions to Jason is my boss now in Rogue Squadron. Not very cool. And Zek is not my boyfriend. And then she ends up getting suspended from the military. And I hate everything. And Zek is not my boyfriend. Massive arc here. Yeah. <laughs> Jaina goes from. Being mad about everything to staying mad about everything. She's not flying anymore. Is that going to be important? <laughs> not flying for the military. Yeah. She's been court-martialed. She still is a Jedi, She's though. out of there. I mean, yeah, she is still she, a Jedi. She might get back in, a, in the cockpit. I'm sure we'll see what happens in the next book. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I think Jaina's kind of boring in this book. She's not very exciting in the first book, too. They have their no. cool moment where, like, uh, in the first book, they're defending um, whatever, that city on, on Rel- uh, the Relideer. Yeah, right at the Trellis. beginning. No, that, uh, like at the end, when oh. they're defending it from the uh, Karelians trying to liberate it and all that. All oh, of her yeah. cool stuff is piloting stuff. She's an awesome pilot. But everything always gets brought back to, but Zach is not my boyfriend. And I am pretty tired of that yeah i think like they're trying to do that trying to use that i i get it's a, like a, a running joke too right across the series the number of series but like i think part of what they're trying to do is use that to establish her independence and it just comes off as annoying we're like yeah you're already doing that in so many other ways it, she doesn't have to constantly reiterate that she's sick of people thinking Zach is her boyfriend. Yeah, in in the writing, she's a pilot. And they can write her as, I don't need a wingman or stuff like that. Right. They don't have to keep using Zach. Well, or... But she does need a wingman. And her wingman is Zach. And her and her wingman are amazing together because they have this old mind meld kind of lasting still. Yeah. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing Jaina does in this entire book is when she disobeys Jason. Yeah. Like, that's it. Now let's talk about that scene again. A civilian ship fires at Jason. He orders his sister to fire on them. She says no. Jason blows them up. The first kill of the war. Before the war has even really started. Yeah. But also not really the first kill of the war. Because I bet you a lot of people died on Relideer. And also, in the whole occupation of that, before the freeing of it, and also, it's really not the first kill of the war no. at all. But, nonetheless... It's the first publicly... We've had a couple weeks now to think about it. Do you think she should have disobeyed the order like she did? Yes. No. Yeah. She absolutely... <laughs> you are wrong. 
He, he, why? They fired at him. The whole conflict is about refusing to put your dick away. You can't now put your dick away after you've been dick slapped by the other team. Well, you don't let them run like you don't let them run the blockade, but you can still shoot them, like shoot at them, disable them and take them all like capture them all. You don't have to kill them all. Well, that's a point, but <laughs> he did. <laughs> and I think firing on them was the right move. I think what they did was an act of freaking war, bro. You can't just shoot at somebody and like think you're going to walk away like it's no big deal. Well, and that's why I'm glad we had two weeks to think about it because I didn't think about this during the first conversation. <laughs> you could disable them, capture them all, and bring them all to prison. I guess. Or whatever. But. He's got, doesn't he have, he will or should have. A, I mean, there's. It's a secret police. He's got to have a secret prison. There's plenty of cells that we've seen him in. But. I don't know, man. I don't think that's the right answer. Because. It's like, it was like the, the riot that Ben was in. And then the one guy was about to shoot the cop and, and Ben like knocked it away with his lightsaber. Told him it was a rock or whatever. Yeah. These are two mirroring situations where on one hand is a Karelian escalating the situation to violence. Now, in the first scenario, Ben ignores it. And what does that lead to? More violence directly from the same guy. Jason doesn't ignore it and they all die. (laughs) No more attacking the government from them but it's it was here's the question though would the law be you will be arrested for shooting at the blockade or would the law be you're dead you know what i mean like what would the expected punishment be i would think the expected punishment would be you're dead son for the crew of the ship that's what i mean not necessarily the civilians that were on it that he killed that's another tough point. Yeah. It's like the Death Star argument, right? Not yeah. everybody on the Death Star was uh, Some shooting just, lasers at good guys. They just needed a <laughs> Some job. Some of them were just mopping bathrooms and shit. Yeah. Probably not. I don't know how their freshers work. But, you know, there's good arguments on both sides of this. Yeah. And I like it. And you're wrong. Moving on. <laughs> Let's talk about our special boy, Ben. Our 13-year-old boy. Who starts this book out blindly following our Lord and unquestionable Savior, Big Cousin Jason Solo, a.k.a. Space Jesus 2.0. The man can do no wrong. Ben joins the GAG, the secret police, makes some troop buddies who sort of doubt Jason. No big deal. Just going to keep catching them terrorists. Oh, Jason killed one right in front of me? That doesn't seem right. I'm sure it was a mistake and he can learn from it, but it's still pretty messed up. Oh, looks like I've killed some unarmed people myself. Whoops. Hmm. That's not good. That's it. That's like, that's his journey in a nutshell right there. He goes from not questioning anything Jason does to seeing Jason do an indefensibly bad thing, i.e. kill a prisoner. While interrogating her. Yep. He sees that. And then 
The next step, as Jason manipulates him, is to put Ben in a situation where he's going to end up killing an unarmed person who could have been a threat at a later time. So again, here we are, another reflection of that confrontation. An armed person next to an unarmed person, and Ben kills them both. Yeah. This time, there was no right answer for Ben. It wasn't as easy, right, for the 13-year-old. And that kind of leaves Ben where he is in, in, in the rest of the end of the book, which is like just floating in like purgatory like in between what's right and what's wrong and what do i believe and what should i keep doing and what should i stop doing he's in total conflict at the end of the book which is a reasonable place to find a 13 year old who's been catching air quotes bad guys who were just three or four weeks ago good guys (laughs) yeah (laughs) catching them arresting them and now killing them yeah. He uh Jason has done a really good job of like manipulating him into being a tool here this whole book. And I don't mean that in like a derogatory term. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that in like the uh, usefulness yeah. sense. It's uh it's pretty crazy. Jason is learning from Lumaya as far as that goes because she she's a master. Yeah. At at manipulation and he I think he's learning from that. And it, I think it's he's always been pretty manipulative. I think, but even more so now. Yeah, yeah. I know. I get what you're saying. I, I, it's unfortunate that it has to put Ben in the situations that he gets put in. Right. Like really. But it's clever as, as all hell, man. He's yeah. Smart. He's a smart dude. This Jason. So, but wait, we're supposed to be talking about Ben. <laughs> That's why I went to Ben. I forgot. Sorry. What was your favorite thing that he did in here? My favorite thing was all of the parts of like the nighttime raids where he's with the crew and he's like one of the guys but not not even just one of the guys he's actually like a step above one of the guys because he's got jedi powers that save them all the time like blasting doors open sensing the danger finding bombs he was like this bomb sniffing dog for this team that was fun that was all pretty fun like to see him enjoying what he was doing like and growing like as a man yeah you know who's i mean a 13 year old being forced to do all this stuff kind of have to be more of a man than you normally would be so i'll allow it but it's just cool him him growing as a person and he doesn't seem to find a lot of acceptance or feel like he finds a lot of acceptance anywhere you know what i mean like he doesn't feel like he fits in with the jedi because he's luke skywalker's son you know, he doesn't feel like he, uh, well, I mean, he's a kid, so there isn't anywhere else to fit in other than school. But, like, he's like, Jason likes me. Other than that, there's not a whole lot going on until he joins the GAG. And now he's got other brothers, other people that he looks up to and respects, and even more so because, like, he's gone to battle with them now. Yeah. But watching them question Jason's actions is what really starts to bring it to the forefront of his mind where he's like, it's not just me, huh? Oh, it's other people that I trust and like believe in, huh? I think he's being whack too. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Those deep thoughts. Well, yeah. The deep thoughts of his that, that he now knows that he shares with other troopers right. like, like Shivu, which is yeah. Captain Shivu. Yeah. 
I like his name too. I like their relationship. Yeah. Where it's like it's just it's big brother little brother stuff all over the place. But <laughs> it's funny to, if you think about contrasting Shivu and Ben versus like Jason and Ben. Obviously their relationship's longer, but like he is way more willing to just throw Ben into danger than Shivu is. Oh yeah. I, I don't know if that's part of like the relationship difference, like it's not his apprentice, Jedi apprentice super powerful dangerous jedi apprentice who you expect to face danger and whereas shivu's like it's a 13 year old soldier on my team huh <laughs> like maybe yeah. maybe it's just a difference of perspective but i i think shivu shivu i want to say teaches him and i think is going to teach him more of the right and wrong morality part of it yeah of of policing yeah which being a good cop is an important yeah right. It's an important thing to know when you're a Jedi. The galaxy's cops. Yeah, like and like moral morality cops. <laughs> like you do it based on right and wrong, not based on what the government tells you to do. Or at least that's supposed to be the ideal, right? That's what the whole problem here is. Yeah. Speaking of the government, let's end on our friend Jason Solo. Who starts the book completely outside of the government. He's not a part of the military. He's just a Jedi. <laughs> he has no power to manipulate events until he wants to. And then he does. <laughs> yep. He starts off, like I said, outside the government, just a Jedi, flow walking to see Papa Vader make his mistakes, convincing himself that he's the second coming of space Jesus and all of this draws him closer to Lumaya, and he invests deeper in her prophecy of him being this next great Sith Lord. He might trust Lumaya more, but not enough to tell her about his wife and daughter. Maybe not wife, but a secret lover, Tanaka, and their daughter, Alana. Hasn't told her about that. He's worried. That if she knows about them, bad things will happen to them. Somehow along the way, he finds himself in the military with the rank of colonel. The same rank his sister has worked her entire life to earn. Just manipulates events to put himself in charge of things and give himself more power. Yep. And more power to do what he needs to do to set the galaxy straight. Like we talked about, he blows up the civilian ship. And he starts the war. That's where things really do escalate from the government perspective. Because at that point, there's no more turning back. No. It's gone from a blockade to active fighting. You know, And in that moment, again, he flexes that power. And he suspends his sister from the military. He court-martials her for not following his orders. What else does he manage to do in this book? He kills Boba Fett's daughter. He's a busy boy. Accidentally. Sort of. You know, while running the secret police, the Galactic Alliance Guard. This guy's got a lot of jobs. He does just about everything to cut all his ties to everybody throughout this entire book, except for Ben. Just about everybody that he can... I don't think he's... I, I, I should phrase that differently because he's not doing it purposely. But everything that he's doing is distancing himself from all the people that could save him. Yeah. 
Every single thing. Even heading up the Galactic Alliance Guard. Well, your dad doesn't like that because you're arresting Karelians and your dad's Karelian. Luke Skywalker doesn't like that because he didn't agree that the government should be doing it in the first place. All the main cast of characters who would possibly reach out and save you are maybe too disgusted by your actions to help you? I don't know, but guess what they're doing? <laughs> Nothing. I don't know. Jason's doing a lot. And by the end of the book, he's doing the one thing he said he maybe couldn't do on this path to becoming a Sith. He's preparing to kill his lover and or daughter if that's the price of his Sith Jesus destiny. And I honestly actually can't believe that he's saying that by the end of the book. No, that's a big one. That's a big jump. Because the last few scenes, Lumaya's meditating with the beads and they're talking about the the prophecy of the beads. And she comes around to convincing him that he's going to have to kill people that he loves. The most. (laughs) Not just anyone. Whatever it is that you love the most, you're going to have to kill it. And he's convinced... And by the end of the book, he is mentally preparing to kill his lover and or, and or, could be both, could Could be be. one, daughter, if that's the price he has to pay. Over the course of the book, he just chips away more and more at his whatever existing Jason Solo morality there was. Really, at his humanity... Yeah, sympathy, all of it. Yep. Just destroying it bit by bit across the books with all of his actions. Like, I bet you it doesn't feel good to be arresting Karelians either. Bet you it doesn't feel good to kill one in front of your cousin. Although, when he did, it's not that, like, it, he, he, he didn't feel bad about it, but it, well, he was, like, disappointed that it happened because he wouldn't get any answers out yeah. of it. But, yeah. It's Which so, isn't really the right sentiment. No, so decisively cold about it mm-hmm. that, like, that's a little, little terrifying, yeah. actually. But he, like, starts tying his leg to freaking Lumaya like they're going to win a three-legged race. Like, tight. Yeah. Real tight. Yeah. Where I swear I kind of believe she's just manipulating him to get revenge on Luke Skywalker by like destroying everything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I still would not be surprised just based on the way that she phrases everything all the time. So for example, in that last conversation, and we talked about it in the last episode when we covered those chapters, but like she starts off just saying vaguely, like you're going to have to sacrifice something you love. And then she says like, you're going to have to kill something you love. And then she says, like, you're going to have to kill the thing you love the most. Like, she slowly is graduating it up yeah. to be more and more intense. Yep. Where, like, that sounds very manipulative. You know what I mean? A lot of her phrasing it seems like she's manipulating him. But, I, ugh, of course she is, right? Because she's a Sith. But, like, uh, how much? And for what reason? And we already know because they talked about it, her and Jason about how much she has manipulated everything to get him to where he's at. Yeah. St- starting even before like any military action against Karelia was even a thing. She was already 
making ghosts and doing chores to make this evil Jason Solo thing happen, you know? And how, how after she admitted that, does he not see... Yeah. Like, he's... He's so naive to to think that he can have all this power and do all these things and not be, like, evil, right. not be corrupted by it. Right. Well, and that is, like, his Achilles heel is believing that he's above corruption because his his mind is so strong. He's an old, he's a 30-year-old grown man. Yeah. Right? He, uh, his will is so strong. He's... He's been tortured by the Yuzhan Vong. He's never been broken, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's uh, powerful beyond belief. He has every reason to believe in himself. Yeah. And unfortunately for the galaxy, he believes he's going to have to do terrible things to save them. And that is Bloodlines in a one-hour nutshell. Uh, although, he better not go, go killing kids. I well, don't see no killing kids. He's ready to kill. Yes, he is. The fine young woman on the cover of our next book, Legacy of the Force, Tempest. And tell me, Timothy, who that fine young woman is. That would be the one-armed Tenelka. That would be Jason's secret lover. Yes. Now I get the feeling she's on here for a reason. Let's talk about what she looks like. Eh? She's got like a big red braids. She's got a aqua-colored lightsaber with some kind of uh, beast claw yeah. for a hilt. Weird Looking hook. dope. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. She's got, like, dragon lizard scales on her uh, amputated arm, which is cut off at the elbow. Like, scales up to the shoulder. She looks awesome. Fierce would be a good word. Fierce. I was going to say menacing, but that wasn't quite right. Fierce is good. Yes. She looks definitely powerful in this pose here. Um, well, I wonder how much she's going to be in this book. If we're going to take our cue from Bloodlines, where <laughs> Boba Fett was on the cover, and he was in about half the book. I'm really looking forward to finding out more about Tenel Ka. Jason's secret girlfriend that we've heard of several times throughout the course of these books. Now, let's talk about the title. Tempest. Bloodlines, that was pretty obvious, right? Bloodlines, it's going to be about the family. It's going to be about the history of families. Surprisingly, about the history of Boba Fett's family also. Betrayal, pretty obvious. Yep. There's going to be betrayals. Jason betraying everything. <laughs> Everything. Karelians betraying the GA government. What have you. Here we come to book three. Tempest. A violent storm. A tumult. Or uproar. A.K.A. Shit's about to get wild. Chaos, essentially. Madness is about to happen. Tempest. A wild storm. That is what this book is set out to be. And who wrote this book? The third author in our installment of rotating authors throughout this series. We're going to get a Troy Denning book here. New York Times bestseller, Troy Denning, in fact. He's wrote a buttload of Star Wars books. Some of the highlights being Fate of the Jedi, 
Abyss, Vortex, and Apocalypse. That'll be the next series. That takes place after these books. He also wrote the Darkness Trilogy with those mind-melding bugs that we've heard a little bit about along the way also. He also wrote Star by Star in the New Jedi Order, the book where Anakin Solo sacrifices himself. The only one of that series that I actually own. <laughs> a monster book, too. It's, it's like huge. 700 pages or something. But here's something I noticed. He gets that third spot in this Nineology and in the next Nineology. He gets that third spot, the wrap-up spot. That's like a, I don't know, that seems like a really big vote of confidence in the writer. Yeah. Right? Where you're like, not only are you going to wrap up the series, you're going to wrap up each kind of three book arc. Yeah. Right. Cause the stories happen in, in threes essentially. And so that's a huge vote of confidence. And that makes me pretty excited to read the book. Like just based on the fact that like this guy's in the hot seat in the sweet spot. We're yeah. like, Hey man, you're wrapping it all up. Yeah, he's batting cleanup. So like you better make it count. And you know, New York times bestseller, the man's got a lot of things working for him here. How about this question for you? Based on the cover, it looks like we're going to get a lot of Tunnel Ka. Yeah. What else do you want to see a lot of in this book? A lot of in this book. I actually, I want to see, or I'm hoping that we get to see maybe somebody. Say no to Jason. Yeah. Given, <laughs> get, yeah. Given Jason something to think about rather than Perhaps just. Perhaps it will be this fierce young woman here on the cover. Because if yeah, anybody can get through to him, something. maybe it's his secret lover. Maybe. Man, that's a good one. Oh, you mean, but wait, that doesn't really count, okay? Because we haven't seen more of that. <laughs> that will be the first of that. But I'll allow it. I'll still allow right. it. What I want to see is more Jaina. Yes. I want more Jaina. You can't write a nine-book series about her twin brother and give her five things to do in the first two of them. I want more Jaina solo build this character as much as you're building her brother across the course of the novels. If that's important by the end, for some reason. Yeah. Don't give her nothing to do in the first two books other than Zach is not my boyfriend. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. And I am so mad when anybody tells and, me. And, and I fly fighters and I mean, that's all cool. Yeah. That, that's really pilot. cool. But, and if, if you want something that I want to see more of, I want to see more like Ben progression mm. as like in, in every way, like his emotional progression, his force progression. Do you want to see him stick with Jason or part from Jason in the near future? I think, I think as much as Jason is a terrible influence. Yeah. It, I know is good good person to learn from it's good as for the story as, yeah oh yeah also as far that. as skills yeah he's also the most widely breadth of knowledge uh, jedi that you have access to and speaking of which that's another thing i want more of jason's past he's about to oh, go yeah. visit his, his girlfriend here they obviously have a history i want to know more about jason's past man because as we said everybody throughout the book is going this is not like Jason. This is not like Jason. Well, this is all I know of Jason. This is very much like Jason. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about his past. I've only seen him do 
gray area to dark area things so far. Let's go talk to his girlfriend and his daughter. Let's go talk to uh, somebody who's known him. They, they've they been training together since they were teenage Jedi Knights. She obviously, with the lightsaber in hand, Tanelka is a Jedi Knight. If also the queen of a, a system of planets. Yeah. But I want more of Jason's past. That's for sure. But let's wrap it up with the final preview of Tempest, the back cover. As civil war threatens the unity of the Galactic Alliance, Han and Leia Solo have enraged their families and the Jedi by joining the Karelian insurgents. But the Solos draw the line when they discover the rebels' plot to make the Hapen Consortium an ally, which rests upon Hapen nobles murdering their pro-alliance queen and her daughter. Yet the Solo's selfless determination to save the queen cannot dispel the inescapable consequences of their actions that will pit mother against son and brother against sister in the battles ahead. For as Jason Solo's dark powers grow stronger under the dark Jedi Lumaya, and his influence over Ben Skywalker becomes more insidious, Luke's concern for his nephew forces him into a life-and-death struggle against his fiercest foe, and Han and Leia Solo find themselves at the mercy of their deadliest enemy, their son. Bum, bum, bum! This sounds like it's going to be a lot about Han and Leia. Yeah. And sprinkle some Luke in there. Give him something to do in this book, huh? Yeah, Luke's going to have something to do. Obviously, Jason's going to you know, feature. And, and I I believe Tenoka will be in there. And I'm not going to lie, they kind of blow the poorly kept secret of the first two chapters here, the first few chapters anyways, which is uh, the Karelians are planning to kill Tenelka and her daughter. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously you wouldn't give it away if it wasn't not a big deal to give it away. But I know we've already read the first few chapters and that's like, Kind of hidden in there in the first few chapters where like, they, Han and Leia agree to do it. Anyways, we'll get to there next week. But this sounds like it's going to be a wild, violent storm. Sounds like it's going to be a pretty high-paced book. It does. It sounds action-heavy yeah. on the back for sure. Mother against son and brother against sister. Sounds like you're going to get some Jaina. That to me sounds like Luke and Leia. And Leia and Jason. That's why I think this book's so heavily going to be Han and Leia. Because I think that's what they're talking about here is like, they joined the other team. Oh, that's Luke is going to be mad. Luke is going to be mad. Jason's going to be mad. I wonder who's older. Jaina's going to be mad. Everybody's going to be mad. Yeah, yeah, temper's going to be running high, for sure. Jane, as always, is. Yeah, she's fiery. That's it. That's our wrap-up of Bloodlines and our kickoff for Tempest. I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm ready. 
I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. See you next week for chapters one through four of Legacy of the Force, Tempest. I'm Justin. And I'm Tim. And goodbye. See you. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.